even if people don't work, they should have access to health. Like, why does why do we make your ability to be healthy primacy on your capacity for labor, right? Like that in and of itself should be a value that we believe that people should be healthy, right? And that we provide for education, food, water, housing, health. Like that should be some core. And every other high income country, every other one has that as a core belief for every citizen. Here are the details that every American needs to know about this plan. I want America to have the finest health care in the world. This health care system of ours is badly broken, and it is time to fix it. Well, we spend $2.7 trillion every year on health care. Our health care is too uncertain and too expensive, too bureaucratic and too wasteful. This legislation will not fix everything that ails our health care system protect your Medicare, and we will always protect your Social Security. This is what change looks like. This is what change looks like. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to episode number six of the state of healthcare. I am your host, Ned Eric, and I am super excited to bring to you today an interview with Dr. Joya Creer Perry. She is the founder and president of the National Birth Equity Collaborative, and we had an amazing conversation about the, the state of healthcare today when it comes to racial inequities, when it comes to policy in healthcare, when it comes to the social determinants of health and what we need to do collectively to make sure that the future of healthcare is a positive one for every single American. And it was just an absolutely amazing interview. Dr. Career Perry got very granular, got very practical. Um, so I, I can tell you this, if you're not driving, if you're not operating heavy machinery, get a pen and a piece of paper out and please take some notes, listen, understand, and and truly let this this interview um, and what Dr. Career Perry, uh, let it just let it ruminate a little bit um, with you. And like always, you didn't hear me, you didn't come to hear me talk. So uh, without further ado, here is our interview with Dr. Joya Career Perry. Well, Dr. Joya Career Perry, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm awesome. How about you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And your expertise is one that I like. I, I think is so important right now, in in just the state of where we are, not only as a country but in healthcare. And you being a thought leader and your expertise in the racial inequities in healthcare. I'd love to get your opinion on where you see us today. Where are we as an industry in healthcare today based on your expertise? 
Yeah. And so I really um, thank you once again for having me. I really want to say that we have not had a truthful conversation when it comes to race and racism in this country and the impact that it's had, especially um, in our health care and health systems and the choices we've made oh, for hundreds of years when it comes to health. And so I do think where we are right now is because of the Black Lives Matter movement and because of the conversations we're having around the death and the murder of, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, that we're also able to, in healthcare, start honestly talking about racism and talking about the ways that our systems were constructed, the ways that they're currently harmful and how it's hurting all of us. That racism is, yes, it does hurt black people, but it also hurts white people, Asian people. The idea that there's a hierarchy of human value based upon skin color color has been very harmful for all of us. And so I do, I'm excited about the opportunity for health and healthcare to really have that truthful conversation about, okay, now that we can talk about this, what are we going to build differently and how are we going to value each other and how are we going to hold and be sure that we all are able to thrive and undo this idea that certain groups have more value than others. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. And I've heard you say that a lot of what we have is because we haven't had the conversation, right? It, exactly. It's sort of been this like, oh, this is how healthcare is done. Exactly. Now, do you, because we haven't had this conversation, do you believe that a lot of the policies that we have today are reasons that we have such inequities? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the policies were baked um, to be inequitable. They were they were created, and it's it's interesting as a physician, as a scientist, you know that we have kind of you have a thesis, and then you have kind of an outcome, right? So the general thesis, the hypothesis, when we started our healthcare system, was that certain people would have and certain people wouldn't. You know, that kind of survival of the fittest. People love quoting it's Darwinism, right? Like, but we, you know, there was other people who were also. Um, philosophers or, or the beginnings of science who said not only was it just survival of the fittest, but it was your environment mattered. Like what if instead of our framing of our healthcare system not been Darwinism, but this idea and understanding from the very beginning that where you live mattered, the access to food, the access to um, clean water, like all those things matter to your health. And that's not just your individualism or your own fitness, but everything around you also mattered as well. And now we're starting to have that truthful conversation. And so I do think um, having that shift in kind of how we see ourselves in relation to others, especially during COVID-19, right? Like we're having to really think about how our health impacts others' health and that the virus doesn't care if we're rich or poor or white or black, that that's how health is, you know, really, we are all connected to one of each other. Globally, we're connected. So I do see this opportunity now for us to really have a truthful conversation around that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as someone who is so ingrained in it, and you're having conversations all the time around, are, are there, is there anything that you're seeing right now in policies or in just the conversations that you're having that are pushing in a direction that you see as positive? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, though. So yeah. I, my caveat is I live life as an optimist. Like, I really do. So I love I it. Probably, I love it. <laughs> if you're looking for the doomsday, I'm not that person. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So I do, there's so many things. I mean, one of the core things is I was taught in medical school that race was biological. And I'm only, I mean, I was in medical school in the late 90s. And so I was taught in my embryology class that there were three races. We were talking about skin, mongoloid, caucasoid, and negroid. And so that biological basis of race was such a part of how 
white supremacy culture took over biology. Like, like it made a, a, a thing that was not true into our textbooks, into our trainings. So I believe that about myself. So I have to undo the racist ideas I have about myself for myself. So this is not some novel thing outside with other people. I'm talking about my own self. When I had a baby early in medical school, my only risk factor was being Black. So I assume Black people just have babies early because that's what I was taught. That was in our textbooks. That's what all the narratives say. So we finished the Human Genome Project in 2003. We've had at least 17 years that we could, as scientists, agree, even though sociology and anthropology long ago stopped believing that there was a biological basis of race. It's taken us a while in health and healthcare. Like we're a little mm -hmm. slower. It's part of all of our, it's a part of our, the way we operate. And so I do yeah. think the conversation that gives me the most hope is the conversation where we're undoing this idea that there's something broken around blackness or broken around individuals and really looking at how our policies are harmful and our policies are, are causing actually um, racism to be uh, practiced, right? Like if you do things like say, um, by policy, people who have, uh, who are poor and low income, go to hospitals that have where they see a different provider each time that they go in because they are training institutions. But you also know at the same time that you need continuity of care to have better outcomes. You created a policy where you're saying from the beginning, people who actually need more continuity, you refuse to give it to them. That You are sending them to places where they see um, a different person every time they go to the doctor. So that is a policy choice that has disparate impact on groups of people. And if we can say, well, they don't deserve to have their same doctor all the time, then that's, you have to acknowledge, I'm sorry for that. You have to acknowledge that if you have um, agreed to, uh, that they don't have, that they shouldn't see the, uh, um, the same person every time, that you are saying that they're not valuable enough to have that same thing that you get. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you see and so for me, my background, um, I come from a very poor background. And mm -hmm. I know for us, it was, it was, we really never went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. We always went to the like urgent care. Like yep. back. And so it was like, and so when, you know, now it's, I look back and go, oh, well, I didn't actually like have like a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but then looking back, it was like, oh, well, it was because mom couldn't get off work. Yeah. And so that's sort of the, like, as obviously being in healthcare now, I can look back and be like, oh, wow, like, like look at that. And with other policy, because the moment that we tied health insurance to employment, that was a policy choice that the United States made that didn't have to be, right? Because that yeah. means that you only can have health insurance if you work at certain types of jobs. And many poor people, many low-income white folks, many um, middle-income black folks, we work at jobs that don't provide health insurance. So does that yeah. mean we shouldn't be healthy? Like, because our job and our employer decided not to invest in health insurance? And even the ones that do, I know as a person who ran a city health department and who had to negotiate with health insurers for my staff, that is still, you're still negotiating away against people's income, right? Because uh, it's still a cost to the yeah. business. But we haven't really had that honest conversation, like tying employment to health insurance is not healthy for our nation. It is, yeah. um, it is, it is a disservice to many people who live in places where the jobs are not gonna provide insurance and, don't, and the jobs don't have the capacity. A lot of small businesses, they can't afford to, this large expense of health coverage. And yeah. what does it look like to say health is a right and that we all should be healthy? And then how do we then agree as a nation that this idea that some people should be healthy and who you can look and decide based upon your effort and work or your skin color or your geography that you should have things versus everybody should be healthy.
Yeah, I, I actually, I think the first time that it ever came to me, basically what you're talking about, I was, I was actually working at a startup. And mm-hmm. I remember one of the girls that I worked with decided not to get health care because it would, she wouldn't have been able to pay her rent right. if she had gotten health care. And exactly. when you sit there and you go, hold up. So she's not going to have access to the same level of care because if she takes $300 a month out of her account, she won't be able to pay rent. And that's when it like, it like woke me up where I was like, oh, this is not right. Like, I mean, I was on some panels in New Orleans after Katrina and the CEOs of the hospitals we were talking about. Many of them have people who work in their hospitals who don't have health insurance because they opt out. The more low income you are, if you give people an option, of course, they're going to say, no, don't take that $300 out of my check. I need it to eat. Right? You only get $600. You're going to take half of it for health insurance. Right. So that's the kind of trade offs that we've been ignoring that people have been having to make working amazing people. And I also want to say, even if people don't work, they should have access to health. Like why does, why do we make your ability to be healthy primacy on your capacity for labor, right? Like that in and of itself should be a value that we believe that people should be healthy, right? And that we provide for education, food, water, housing, health. Like that should be some core and every other high income country, every other one has that as a core belief for every citizen. What we are different, how we are different is that we are the most diverse nation, right? So we have a lot of people. So those other countries who are high income, they're really, you know, they're all Asian or all white or so what we would be showing the world is that you can invest and believe everyone should have even in diversity like even we don't have the same religion the same gender the same race that everyone still should have basic things and um, that doesn't mean everybody gets to be a billionaire but everybody should have access to health yeah absolutely and and i think that that's a a great kind of segue into the social determinants conversation right like Mm -hmm. it 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 is interesting to me because so we had john gorman on a couple of weeks ago and one of the things that he said on the podcast was it's like if i'm if i'm worried about where i'm going to get my next meal where i'm if i'm worried about you know where i'm going to stay tonight i'm probably not super worried about pricking my fingers so that you know that my blood glucose is off the charts, right? And I think, you know, one of the biggest things I look at when it comes to social determinants, and I'm really interested to get your opinion on this, is like, how do we create policies, I guess would probably be the best way to say it, is that those individuals are taken care of at at the same rate as like someone who lives five miles down the road from them in a gated community where where does there's a disconnect but how do we bridge that gap and i think that's where us agreeing that everyone is equally valuable so the homeless person who um who are unhoused, I should say, the unhoused individual uh, working on my own language. See, all of us are working on language, but I, don't, I think part of the beauty of this moment we're also having is we all mess up words sometimes and yeah. we give each other grace. We're all figuring out these things together. Um, but we have to have a real commitment as a country. And this is really what I hope that this moment of the pandemic and the anti-racism marches are showing us is that the United States really can lead the world in showing that we do believe that that person who lives five miles away from the gated community person deserves to have um, access to health. And so that starts at the highest level. So that would mean that we would give people um, 
access to housing and they would give people food. We would make sure that we have clean water. Like we haven't made that commitment as a nation. We, and you can see the tension right now between what we should reopen or not. You can feel that t- tension that we've always held. And I think it was honestly, as a black woman, we felt it for a long time, like this tension of feeling like your body was being used and you were expendable. And so I now I think during COVID-19 and during this moment, we're all feeling a little expendable. We're all feeling that moment of weight. You'll be willing to like risk me to open up a business? Like, am I, you're willing to risk grandma? Like that, that's been black people's experience since we've been in this country. And so that feeling is now, I think a more shared feeling of that you could be disposable. Um, and we have to decide as a nation that people are not disposable, that we are not gonna throw people away, um, that I, I'm from rural America, I love rural America, rural America needs to thrive. People get to stay in their homes, get to stay on their farms, get to stay, they don't have to move to a city, that there's value in that. And how do you invest and thrive in that space? Just like I love now living in a city, right? So like, how do we say that people um, should be uh, able to build the lives that they want and we give them um, um, the things that they need to do. And I think what's been missing, and that's why I brought up being a billionaire, because when you hear the other language, it's like everybody doesn't get to be rich. We're not asking for everybody to be billionaires, everybody to be rich, but we do should agree that people should have access to food, housing, health, education, you know, like that's some basic, as a, as a humanity, um, that we believe that all people should have that in the United States. I love that you brought that up because I think that is a major misconception of like, we want everyone to be Jeff Bezos. Right, exactly. Even when we talk about like the wealth gap, right? Like yeah. the black, white wealth gap. I mean, truthfully, it's um, if you compound it and make it a big thing, it's still like a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's not like it's... Yeah. A billionaire like we don't think that white folks have a billion more dollars right so like yeah. how do you then really make it more concrete and honest for people yeah it, and i'm really curious as, as someone who is so like that has these conversations every day are there some major misconceptions that we need to get over in the social yeah. determinants world do, yeah. that you could talk about yeah well i mean one of them is big is that people have now taken the term social determinants to mean social work Right. So we took a word that 15 years ago was finally and it was so exciting and thrilling for the World Health Organization and others um, to talk about this idea that it wasn't genes or choices, but people's social determinants that um, dictated most of our health and not even truthfully access to health care. Right. Like really all these other things, having clean water, all that was really important. But now the way it's operationalized is it means social work. So my job as the healthcare person is to ask you about your housing, ask you about your transportation. And we don't talk about upstream of how those social determinants were created, that it's not social work. This is not so you can hire a social worker to make sure people get access to um, food and housing, but there are power dynamics um, that are larger than the social determinants and things like our tax policy, things like our access to um, how we fund education systems, right? Like we don't have a right education in this country. It goes back to that beginning conversation. It's like we don't have a right to health. When I say we don't have a right, like in our constitution, states run education. So that's why you see differences in education because it's, it's um, some of them, they spend a lot of money in it and some of them they don't. We do the same thing when it comes to health. And so I, the misconception that we have this right to education is, is also not true. Um, and so you see a lot of mismatch around what's happening in education. So I do think it's important for us to move away from just talking about social determinants and really talk, talking upstream about the power and wealth imbalance and then the root, the root causes. And I like to talk about three main root causes in the United States, which are racism, 
classism and gender oppression. Um, it's important that you can add some other ones. I mean, you could add religious fundamentalism, you could add um, in other contexts, tribalism, casteism. But if we don't talk about those root causes and we just talk about the social determinants, you will see people then social working it, right? They start just giving. And so a core example of the, what we would do differently is when we only talk about it as if it's social work, when we talk about patients needing access to transportation, you give them vouchers for Uber and Lyft because that does meet their immediate need as a social worker. If you talk about structural determinants or you talk about root causes of those social determinants of health, you would actually evaluate our US transportation system, which we know both urban, suburban and rural, all three spots is horrible. I have never met a person in the United States who said we have greater transportation. It's yeah, awful. Yeah. No one wants to ride the bus. Like no, no. not one person was like, yeah, let's, exactly. let's get on the bus today. Like, <laughs> exactly. so we just, we've never invested in our infrastructure for, for transportation. And that's a huge barrier for health. Yeah. It's a huge barrier for wealth. It's a huge barrier for all these things. So looking at why, if you look at a city like DC, Anacostia has um, no access to the subway, mm -hmm. but it has the worst health outcomes. That's a political choice. So the people who live in Anacostia have worse health outcomes and no transportation. So if you were undoing the social determinants and looking at the root causes, you wouldn't just give them a bunch of WIC vouchers, I mean, um, lift vouchers, you would build a subway system that goes to Anacostia. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that you're getting to like the why of it because yeah. I think <laughs> there's like, right? Yeah, like there, there is, there, there's something to be said. It's like, it, it's awesome that you're going to the source of like, okay, yeah. these people need Lyft and Uber vouchers, mm -hmm. but like we need to actually like, yeah, it, that's putting a band aid on a bullet wound. It is. Right? It is. And it is. It's, it's, I'm from, I'm from the DC area. So I grew up mm -hmm. in, so I know Anacostia well. And I, and I know, went to school from kid with kids from Anacostia. And like, mm -hmm. I know what, happens there and mm -hmm. and and it's it's interesting to me that you bring that up because it is true it's it's one of those things like if you go if anyone's listening from maryland i'm gonna i'm gonna call out this branch avenue right branch mm -hmm. avenue they you've got that station and then you go you but there's that from there there's nothing like you know and so and yeah we're never honest about that. that's a political choice like yeah. that's the moment of like this is not an accident like they're there yeah. you've created a whole and then the other opposite end is true, though, right? Georgetown, the hoarding. Yeah. You don't have public transportation to Georgetown because they don't want people coming in. So it's like yeah. those are real power and wealth imbalances that are real important things that if we don't have honest conversations around, we just keep blaming and shaming folks. We're never mm. going to grow as a nation. We're never going to be able to fix this like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and if you don't get to that big just actual like why behind it. We're just gonna be mm -hmm. continuing to put Band-Aids and yeah. Band-Aids don't allow people to actually heal. They and don't. I think they that's, really that, that's extremely important. And I and actually, I've heard you say where we're in a spot right now that we have the ability to like actually create policies that yeah. affect us all, like yes, as a yes. nation. I, and, exactly. and, and so I think that's the, the most important aspect of this is like, yes. this is almost a reset button of like, it is. hey, we're all in this together. We, are. we all are sitting here going, hey, something needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we do? Like, exactly. let's, exactly. let's get people in a room. Let's talk and let's do something. Yeah, yeah I mean, I love because I love I mean, DC is like 
Disneyland compared to living in Louisiana, right? Like the yeah. amount of resource in this city, the amount of like things that people have access to, but then you see these huge inequities, right? And you know, and this is why I always think of DC as like this perfect little laboratory for mm-hmm. change, what it could look like, because it has resource, it has educated people, it has people who want change, it has all these things, and yet you still see these hard, huge gaps. Yeah. So what would it look like for DC to commit to transportation equity? And then build a plan like that says that people should be able to get to Georgetown whenever they want to. And people should be able to get out of Anacostia if they feel like it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how yeah. do you build a plan that says you could do both? Because, you know, where I live, I can get anywhere, but I don't yeah. live in either one of those places. Um, and so that's really like, how do we make build out that people should be able to move freely? And that is part of health. That is part of yeah. your right. That is part of being able to live and survive and thrive is thrive is being able to have access to transportation. I mean, yeah. another example in New Orleans, we've been trying to get just a train from New Orleans to Baton Rouge mm-hmm. and the politics about why that doesn't happen. We never have an honest conversation around fear, hoarding, people are nervous, like all of that keeps us stuck. Meanwhile, so many people need to get back and forth from DC to Baton Rouge, right? Mm-hmm. And having a quick train would solve so many things. And so while we're fighting about our power and who and fear, people are dying and not having access to resource they need because we won't just build a train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it gets to that point where you are just, the people are just having conversations in circles, right? Yes, it really. <laughs> Yeah. Next week we'll we'll meet again to deal with this, and then and it's like we didn't get anything done today. And we, it just we got money understand. under the state got money under the Obama administration to build that train, and oh, then wow. you know, Jindal was the governor, and he refused the money, right? So it just became a that's a that's their egos, their politics, and meanwhile the train's still not there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's unnecessary. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and I, I love how you talk about DC being like a perfect little spot because it's like a four quadrants. Each quadrant yeah. is slightly different than the other. Yeah, like you have a test up in Northwest and like, yeah, no, like, as you were saying, I was like, that's perfect. Like, that's you can do, I mean, it is like, I, I you know, I figure out here for a while. So I'm like, okay, like what would you could do like, um, free health fair and they, and they already do some stuff here that they don't do in other places but you could yeah. really be like radical here you could do a basic income if you wanted to like you could do a i mean there's just um, a lot of opportunity because you have you have a lot of thoughtful people here um and who um who i think want to do stuff like that and so we just have to really start having more honest conversations about what we could build out and what we could do yeah, absolutely. And I will say, I think that's a perfect way to end this. I will ask you one more question, though, okay. because I, I will say like that, what you've talked about today is just, it's one of those things that it gets me excited for what's to come, because mm-hmm. hearing people like you, John Gorman being, you know, one of the people that's just forwarding this as well, you guys are so ingrained in this and seeing people like you leading the charge is exciting to me as someone who's like, I'm kind of in my like Medicare advantage bubble. That's kind of what, you know, we do it, right? Like, you know, we're, we have our own issues, but like on a nationwide scale, we being able to see and hear you talk about, Hey, we want to get to the nation. We want to get to and have equity for everyone. That's what excites me. So I want to ask you before I let you go is I want to ask you what most excites you today about the future of healthcare? 
I think what I'm most excited about is this moment that people really can feel that there's change happening, right? We're yeah. all coming together. We have way, the, the silos are breaking and we see that I don't have to pick which thing is most important. Like I work on repro. So I could say right now, I don't want to talk about anything else except for repro, but that doesn't help me around my environmental justice needs. That doesn't help me around my mental health needs. So we're finally, I think in healthcare, I'm excited that we're saying, I don't just want one of these things. We want all of it. We know that we can't just pick a thing that we need to really believe that all of us have the ability to, to thrive and that health is a right and move us all forward to getting there. I love it. I love it. Now, let me ask you, where can people find you online and read everything you've ever written, watched <laughs> everything you've ever done? We're working on that everything. But um, yeah. so yeah, um, birthequity.org is, the net, is where my organization is. And then on Twitter, it's um, at DOC Career Perry. Um, and then on Instagram as well, at DOC Career Perry. I'm like a fake wannabe hip hop rapper. <laughs> and then, um, um, and then Birth, National Birth Equity Collaborative is the name of our organization. I'm also the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. I'm on the board. And we have a lot of resources on the Black Mamas Matter Alliance website. Yeah, yeah, I would I would recommend anyone listening to this would to follow you, to check things out and, and really to, to dig deep into the work that you're doing. So thank you so much, Dr. Kirk Perry, for joining us. Uh, it, it was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, thank you. for having me. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.